0: Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can.
1: Hey, listen, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm so glad that you're hanging out with us because today we are continuing our series called Thanks Living. And throughout this series, it is our goal that you guys would become, that we would become a community of believers that are marked by gratitude. That's what we want. Today we're doing things a little bit different. So you're gonna hear from several different voices, and as we all stand up here on this stage, we're gonna be unpacking Paul's words in Romans chapter eight, verses 31 through 39. And throughout this series of questions, we're gonna be pulling out spiritual blessings that create that attitude of gratitude in our hearts. The very first thing that Paul says as a blessing that we as believers can claim is this in Romans eight thirty-one, If God is for us, Who can be against us? And listen, when I read through that, I become really glad that Paul phrased it in that way. You see, I'm glad that Paul didn't simply say who can be against us, because the the answer to that question would be three miles long. See, at any given moment, there's, there's different things, different people that stand against me. You know, every driver on 441 comes to mind. All three of my children at times come to mind. But Paul doesn't say that. Instead, he says this. He says, if... God is for us, or maybe since God is for us, what could possibly be strong enough, capable enough to stand against us? You see, what Paul does here is this question. It puts everything that stands in opposition to us in the context of our omnipotent God's immeasurable grace. God is for us. He's not ambivalent towards us. He's not undecided about us. He's not hot and cold with us. Our God is for us. And that's a blessing that causes celebration in our hearts. Listen, I went for a run the other day, and I went for a run while it was still dark outside. And for those of you that run outside on the street, you know there's lots of dangerous things that you have to watch out for. you got to watch out for cars, drivers that aren't paying any attention. you got to watch out for debris that's left out in the road. you got to watch out for animals that are going to jump out of the woods and attack you. And it's even worse when it's dark outside. Well, it was dark outside, and I began to hear footsteps that were charging after me. And I immediately recognized that there was a dog in pursuit of me. I had just interrupted his morning poop, and he was angry about it, and he was coming for blood. So all of a sudden, I hear this barking, and I hear this growling, and these steps are charging at me, and it's too dark. I can't see where this dog is or what this dog looks like. But fortunately, as soon as the dog came into view, this dog that's probably about this tall and has way more muscle mass than I do, the dog recognizes me as fast as I recognize him. And his tail starts to wag. And he comes up next to me and he walks with me. And all of a sudden, I had this realization that I didn't have to fear the dog that was chasing me. And because of his presence next to me, I didn't have to fear anything else either. Listen, that's what our relationship with Christ is like. You see, he's not chasing us. We don't have to be afraid. He's walking with us. He's for us. He sees us. He knows us. He cares for us. And he loves us deeply. Here's what I want you to do as we start this service out, and this is gonna be a little bit strange. Okay, for 60 seconds, I want you to think through that two-mile list of all the things that stand against you in this world. And I want you to focus on those things. And I want you to let those things consume you and overwhelm you, and I even want those things to make you feel empty, broken, and hopeless, but only for a minute. You see, there's gonna be a 60 second countdown timer up here and I want you meditating on those things but as soon as that timer hits zero, I want you to hear the words of the song that are being sang, and I want you to focus on the scriptures that are gonna be up here on this wall and I want you to remember that you are not alone and that your God is fighting for you.
2: God is for us. He's with us, He surrounds us, and He loves us. So how will God not also, along with His Son, graciously give us all things? It's an understatement to say that this year has been difficult in so many ways. And we may hear this question and think, no, God has not given me all things. Many of you have struggled with financial loss or health issues or isolation or... um, Even the death of loved ones. And I know we've all asked God for something and then waited as that request has seemingly gone unmet. We may feel our seasons of difficulty are never going to end. But in times of sorrow and fear and uncertainty, it's especially important that we choose to believe the truth of God's unfailing promises. And it is a choice. We choose to believe that God will meet our every need in a way that reflects his good and beautiful heart. We choose to believe that even in the gifts of loss and grief and pain, God is always working through them for our good. And the blessings from those gifts will return to us in some amazing and God-designed ways. A question comes from Romans 8.32, which says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? While we were still separated from God by our choices and by our own rebellion, he handed over his son to be the sacrifice for us all. Not because he had to, but simply because he loves us so much. Out of his great love, he's already done the hard thing. He's given us the best gift of his son, Jesus. If we were still far from God and he gave us his best, now that we're his children, will he not also give us everything that we need? Will He withhold anything good from us? When we rest in the truth that God gave us His own Son, we can have complete confidence that He'll generously give us everything that He's promised. When God tells us that He freely gives us all things, He's telling us that He'll give us everything we need, everything that's good for us, and everything that we're capable of receiving. God's generosity is limitless, and His timing is perfect. So we choose to believe that when he says no to something, it's because he's got something so much better to give us. Something that we may not be capable of receiving if we got what we had asked for. So in this coming week, I encourage you to read through and meditate on Romans 8. In it, Paul tells us about um, some of the, the good and wonderful gifts that God freely gives us. He tells us that through the gift of Jesus, we are free from condemnation and free from the power that sin has to control our lives. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that gives us a life of peace. God has adopted us as his children and given us a family and an inheritance. He chose us to be his agents for change and for blessing others, giving our lives meaning and purpose. And he's given us a divine calling by inviting us to join him in his work for good in the world. And we've been given salvation through His abundant mercy and grace. God has freely and generously saved us, not because of anything we've done or haven't done, but because He loves us and because His desire is to have a relationship with us. He saved us not just for a a future life in heaven, although we do have that promise, but He saved us so that we can live abundant and fruitful lives here and now. And He gives us all these things through the gift of His Son, Jesus. And now we get to celebrate God's love and generosity. We get to receive another gift, the gift of communion. And this is a gift that we can share with each other and with Jesus. So as we take the bread and juice that represents his body and his blood that was shed for us, we get to spend a few quiet and intimate moments with Jesus in thanksgiving and praise, remembering every good and perfect thing that is ours because God gave his own son up to die for us pray with me dear heavenly father we love you we thank you for everything that you've given us we thank you for the gift of your son um, whose life and death and resurrection opened up the floodgates of heaven for us Um, I pray now that you help us keep our eyes focused on him and on every good and perfect thing that comes from you in your son's holy name we pray
3: Romans 8.33 says it this way, and this is the third question, who will bring any charge against those that God has chosen? Who will bring any charge against God, uh, those that God has chosen? And, and, and it's a picture of a courtroom uh, is exactly what Paul's trying to, uh, to paint. And, you know, if you go into a courtroom, there, there are going to be a couple of things you're going to see. Number one is the judge. That he's kind of the center of that place. And let me tell you what happens when we walk into the, to the courtroom. We see the judge, and it is God. Jehovah God is the judge. Now, what have we already learned about him? Number one, that he is for us. Number two, that he is very gracious. So we're in a good place because the judge is good. But, but then I look over and I see the defense attorney, the person that's going to represent me, and it's Jesus, and he's the son of the judge. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about my chances right now, okay? Okay. And, and, and so, the, the, the question is, who would bring any charge against us? And here's, here's the answer to that question. It really doesn't matter, because God is for us. Okay? So, you, so you get the picture, don't you? That God is for us. It, it really doesn't matter if anybody brings bring a charge against us. But then all of a sudden, we hear this cussing and fussing right there, and it is Satan himself, and he is bringing every charge he can think of. You remember last week he lied? Well, stretch the truth. But, but it was a lie. Do you, you remember two weeks ago you lost your temper? Do you remember four weeks ago when you, you, you yelled obscenities at that driver in front of you? Do you remember in 1992 that you did this? And, in, and he recounts everything because he thinks he can bring a charge. Now, the problem is you and I sometimes overhear those. And can I tell you what? We begin to think, God couldn't love me. God couldn't love me. God couldn't forgive me. And we, we overhear them. But I want you to hear what happens to Satan, the accuser, okay? I want you to hear this. It's from Revelation, the 12th chapter in verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's Satan, listen to what he does, who accuses them before our God day and night. Sometimes we overhear that. But now listen to what happens. It says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. He got thrown out of heaven. He got kicked to the curb. He got bounced. I mean, he, he, he royally got just thrown out on his rear end, Okay? He has no way now that he can accuse you. So who would, bring, who would bring a charge against us? Nobody can, because God is for us. And then listen to this. Listen to this. It says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's how you and I can kick Satan to the curb. We believe in the blood of the Lamb. We speak up with the word of the testimony. We don't love this world so much that we won't give up. This is what Colossians 2.15 says. It says, with Satan, they disarmed him and made a public spectacle of him. We'll bring a charge to nobody. How many of you all would like to have a victory? Amen? Yeah. Let me tell you how, how you have a victory. If you align yourself with Jesus Christ. You align yourself with Jesus Christ. You believe in the power of the blood. You speak up about the power of the blood. And you don't love this world so much because there's something better come. And I'll make you this promise. If you do that, you'll have a victory.
0: When I was in middle school, we played this game called M.A.S.H., and MASH stood for mansion, apartment, shack, or home. And you made a list of all the possible celebrities you would want to marry, how many children you would have, the color of the wallpaper in your house. Some of you are nodding because you played this too in middle school. And according to my game of MASH, I'm really glad what Elaine said applies here. I was supposed to be married to Nick Jonas with 14 children in a purple polka dotted shack. Um, so thank God he, did not, he does not give us what we ask for sometimes. But I think that sometimes we compare following Jesus, following God, to playing the game of MASH. We make this list of requests, and if we do just the right things, everything's gonna line up, and we're gonna get exactly what we want, and we'll be righteous in God's eyes. If I marry this person, if I send my kids to that school, if I get the perfect job, the perfect this, the perfect that, fill in any of those blanks for yourself, and sometimes that's how we see following God. You see, we make it a sliding scale for ourselves but somewhere between righteousness and condemnation, and that's where we fall. Or you could just compare yourself to this house. And we either are the onlooker of the house, the person who took the picture, or we feel like the house itself. Because a condemned house, in all actuality, is to be condemned, is to mean to be beyond repair. We see ourselves as beyond repair in the eyes of Christ. And my question comes from Romans eight thirty four, and it says, who then is the one who condemns? Some days we see ourselves on the anxious side of the scale. Other days we see ourselves on the able side. Some days self-promoting, others self-preserving. Some days okay, and some days the only one in our situation. Some days condemned, and some days righteous. We put ourselves into these sliding scale situations all the time and the truth is there is no sliding scale when it comes to the love of God. Once you've made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, that's it, you can stop trying the beauty in this is that doesn't give us permission to do whatever we want because sin is still sin and God is still God. But at the end of the day, you don't have to stand here and question, am I righteous and am, am I condemned? Because when you stand in front of God at the judgment and at his throne, all he sees is Jesus Christ who is perfectly and wonderfully righteous and I know that there's two groups of people in this room the first that this is the first time you've heard this message of hope and you're thinking man I wish that I could stop trying and the good news is you can right here right now But then the second group of people, you're a lot like me and you've grown up in the church and you've heard this message over and over and you just need a reminder that our week of thankfulness and this spiritual blessing that we have is that we don't have to question where we stand on this scale that we have completely made up between condemnation and righteousness. So the song that we're gonna sing next is called King of My Heart and the lyrics say this, Christ is a mountain where we run, the wind in our sails and the anchor in the waves. If an anchor shifts, it's not an anchor. So praise God that he is the anchor. And I pray for either group that you fall into in this room, you can stand and sing and know that even if your mind is telling you that there's this scale that you're falling on, you know for a fact you can stand up and proclaim those truths over your life and over your week. Let's stand and sing.
4: As we approach the last question that Paul asks in Romans and this beautiful spiritual blessing that we have, the question is this in Romans eight thirty-five, who shall separate us from the love of God? It was April 9th, 1945, when a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was taking his last steps here on earth, about to be killed. And accounts say that this man went up a little different than most. He was confident. He, was, he had this assurance about him. And this was a dead man we're talking about. Life is hard, and we know it. This year has been one for the books. Many of us say this year has been the hardest for us. Others say top five, top ten. Wherever you rank this year, we can all agree that this year has been odd. This year has been full of suffering, full of hardship, full of disagreements and division. But I got to ask the question, who can separate us from the love of God? God. Can hardship stand between God and his active love for us? Can tribulation overpower the active love that God has for you and for me? Can death, famine, difficulties, loneliness, depression, anxiety, lack of money and food, persecution muster up the will to stand in the gap of God's active love for you and for me? You see, the word love in this question is a word that we've heard thousands and maybe hundreds of times in and out of church. It's that word agape, meaning the active love of God for his son, his people, and the active love that his people are to have for God and each other. Exodus 34, 6 says that the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. You see, this is the God that says, who can separate you from me? You see, that word love in this Exodus passage means three different things at once. It means that God is a steadfast, that he has a steadfast love for you, that his unfailing love is present, and ultimately that he, is, is, he has this covenantal loyalty towards you. In simple and in short, God's love is his faithfulness. God's faithfulness is his love. So I ask, who shall separate you from the love of God? Simple answer, none, nothing. Absolutely nothing can separate you from God's active love for you. God's love makes us strong to withstand the hardships that are coming our way. God's love helps us and anchors us to Christ. God's love makes us confident so that we can proclaim with a loud voice that there is nothing on earth and on heaven. There is nothing that can stand between God's love for you and for me. In the darkest moments of our lives, in the deepest moments of our lives, we can find comfort and assurance in God's love for us that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, I repeat, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. And So brothers and sisters, I encourage you to fix your eyes, not on the circumstances around you, not on the hardships, but to fix your eyes on Jesus, that he, And he alone can reassure you that when the world tells you that there is everything that's against you and everything can stand in the way, that that God, the voice of God can become ever louder in your life and say, I am with you, I am here, and there is nothing that can separate my love from you. So may we lift our voices like David did. May we sing that the that, that God's love lasts forever. May we say with our mouth that his faithfulness is known through all generations. May we declare that his love stands firm forever and that he will be established, that his faithfulness is here, and that God, may he respond by saying, I will never take my love for them from them, and I will never betray my faithfulness to them. And so... We have this amazing privilege right now that we get to see God's love ultimately played out in our obedience to him through baptism. So would you um, face the
0: baptism? Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at